Our reading this morning is from Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It should be on the screen behind me. You can find it in your bulletin or you can uh, find it in your Bible. Verses 1 through 6. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid upon us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces. Then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to all of you. It's so good to see you and uh, such a wonderful time this morning. Loved hearing from, from you, Kim. Loved hearing from all the kids. And uh, I want to uh, invite us to take a moment just to pray as we look into God's word together. Would you bow with me? Lord, we come to this amazing passage of scripture today, and so we want to invite you by your spirit to quiet our hearts and enable us to see the beautiful truths that are here in your word. Lord, as we've experienced such joyful worship this morning, we are mindful of people in Kentucky and other states who the past couple of days have been ravaged by tornadoes. And there are people, brothers and sisters in churches in some of those states who have lost loved ones. People that have gone through uh, incredible loss of property. And we wanna take a moment as a church to unite our hearts with churches all across this country to pray for your comfort and your peace for those that have been victims of those tornadoes. We thank you, Lord, that in the victories of life, but also in the losses of life, that you are there with us. So even today, Lord, there might be people within the sound of my voice who have gone through some losses this year, who are facing their own battles, perhaps battles that no one knows. Lord, would you today, as only you can do, reach out and comfort those hearts. We pray these prayers together in Jesus' name, amen. So are you familiar with the term message in a bottle? You ever heard that term before? A message in a bottle is a form of communication whereby somebody takes a message and seals it in a bottle and drops it into a body of water and maybe decades later, maybe centuries later, people would find that message in a bottle. In 1998, 
Nicholas Sparks wrote a book, pretty syrupy book, called Message in a Bottle. And then a year after that, there was a movie with, a very forgettable movie with uh, Kevin Costner and Robin Wright based upon that book. I know everybody's gonna probably go home and watch that tonight. Uh, I've never seen it, I don't recommend it. No particular comments on that. Uh, but there is a song, there is a song that was released just this fall with that same title, Message in a Bottle. And so uh, some of you have a, a favorite singer who was the singer of that song. And so if you're a fan of that person, you know who I'm talking about. But the reason I talk about the idea of the message in a bottle is I want us to understand what happens when we take a story like today, when we take a passage like this one this morning from Micah chapter five, which was written 700 years ago. And what I would like to suggest to you is that we have before our eyes today, we are reading today a message in a bottle from 700 years ago that is a message for the whole world. And I want you to know that that is a message for the world, but it is also a message for you and for me this morning. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you believe that when you come into a worship service and when we come into the presence of God, that when we read God's word, it is a message for us. One of the things I loved about hearing Kim's story is how she personalized the idea of Christmas, the idea of our Messiah, the idea of a savior. Do you hear that at the end of her story? She personalized it for us. And so this message today, this message from Micah chapter five is a message in, from God, a message in a bottle for the whole world. But this, this is also a message for you personally. And I, and I wonder if you believe that. Now we're going back into this, uh, this book called Micah. Micah is a very common name for children today, and so there's a lot of kids out there named Micah, but what about this book, the book of Micah? First of all, the name Micah has a meaning to it. The name Micah means this, it means who is like the Lord. And so in Micah chapter one and verse one, we're introduced to Micah the prophet whose name means who is like the Lord. And then at the end of the book of Micah, in the final paragraph, you know what Micah does, the way he wraps it up, his final thoughts, his final sermon? He says these words, who is like the Lord? And if there is a purpose to this sermon this morning, if there is one hope that I have for you and for me after reading this passage, it is that we would leave today in our hearts singing, who is like the Lord? Now Micah was a prophet, he prophesied in Judah in, uh, as I said, early 700s, late 600s BC, before the coming of Christ. So he was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah, like a pastor. He had a very popular podcast. Everybody listened to his podcast, including the king Hezekiah. Micah actually had an influence on the king of his time. That guy's name, as I said, was Hezekiah. So we're meeting some new people this morning, but I want you to be able to see what's going on in this passage. The book of Micah has about 20 what are known as oracles, 20 oracles, or if you will, 20 sermons. And so people compare the book of Micah to a pastor's sermon file. 
And these sermons are, some of them are curses and some of them are promises of hope. Some of them bring the bad news because the people of God have violated the Mosaic Covenant and so he as a prophet is calling them back to the covenant. But a lot of them are just promises of future glory, promises of a covenant that God gave to Abraham that God gave to David, the promise of future glory. So that's one of the things we're gonna see. So we're gonna take the most famous sermon in Micah's podcast series, and it's just these few verses, just six verses, and we're gonna walk our way through it this morning. Because it's a message in a bottle, I wanna approach it a little bit differently. I want you to join with me this again in just reading the message and we're gonna talk our way through it. So I invite you to get that bulletin that you have, look at that passage of scripture and I just wanna read the message and then I want you and comment on it and then I want you to be thinking about this today, this morning. What is the message for me? What is the message that God has for my life right now? So let's go to verse one and let's try to explain this message in a bottle that has come to Lake Baldwin Church this morning. Verse one says, now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So what is going on in this passage? Well, this is a news story in Jerusalem of that day. Charles Spurgeon used to wake up in the morning and he would have his Bible in one hand and his newspaper in the other hand. And so the prophet Micah says, I'm reading the news, this is what's going on. The city of Jerusalem is under siege at this time. So Micah is the pastor, the prophet, is hunkered down with God's people in Jerusalem and it says that they are under siege. The armies besieging Judah, the armies besieging Jerusalem are the Assyrians. They have already defeated people up north Hezekiah is losing land. He is the king that is losing land. He is being defeated. And it says, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. A siege is laid against us. And then it says, with a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. What's that talking about? Well, the judge of Israel is referring to Hezekiah, the king. And in the ancient Near East, the idea of being struck on the cheek is that king is being humiliated. The king can no longer protect his people. That is the threat that is going on. That is, the, that is part of the first part of this message in a bottle is you've got this incredible, the Assyrians, by the way, were the evil army of that day. You know, when I think of this passage, it says, now muster your troops. You've got this, this battle that is going on. It reminds me of what I believe is the greatest opening of any movie in history, and that was the second Star Wars film, The Empire Strikes Back. And you remember the opening of that film. It's snowy, and you got these big things, and there's just this pitched battle going on between the good guys and between the bad guys. And it was just the most interesting opening to a movie because there was a war going on. Now I look at this message in a bottle and I see verse one, we are entering right in to a very dramatic moment. It is a siege of Jerusalem. It is an attack from the Assyrians. And keep in mind that this battle, as in the Star Wars series, that battle back then was part of really an epic drama 
an epic battle between good and evil of which this was only one skirmish. That's what's going on here. This is one skirmish in an epic battle of the ages between good and evil, and that's what's going on in this passage. So what do we see here just in verse one for us? Did you notice this phrase? He says, now muster your troops. Muster your troops. What do you do when you're under siege? And what the prophet Micah is doing is he is rallying the people of God. Robert Rayburn comments on this verse. And what he's saying is he's saying here, Micah's saying to them, in their time of distress, do not lose hope. Place your faith in God because God will be heard from in due time. And that is a great message for us today. That is such a good message that when you and I are going through distress in our life, even at Christmas time, what God wants us to do is to galvanize our faith. God wants us to not lose hope. God wants us to exercise our faith. And God, God wants us to, to trust in him and to know that God will show up in due time. So that's what's happening, this is the setting. Let's go on to the next verse. Remember we noticed that uh, this king, Hezekiah, is being humiliated, he's being smitten on the cheek. And so it jumps into verse two, the word but, the word but. And let's continue looking at this message in a bottle that we're reading. Verse two says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now the word Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephrathah refers to fruitfulness. And what it's saying here is that there is this sense of hope, Bethlehem Ephrathah. But then it says, but you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Bethlehem is just a little town. It is a significant town. But God is speaking to Bethlehem and saying, out of you will come the source of hope for Israel and indeed for all mankind. You, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now what's going on here? It's saying that in due time there is a ruler that will come. Notice the contrast with Hezekiah. Hezekiah has been exalted, but he's being humiliated. He is being brought down. And now this new king is going to be a humble king. He's not gonna come from Jerusalem. He's gonna come from a little town called Bethlehem. So he will be a lowly king. He will be a humble king. And he will also be a ruler in Israel. You'll notice it says, again, reading this message in a bottle, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now what's that talking about there? Well, Bethlehem is not only a little town, but it's also a very significant town because it is the town of David. It is the town of Judah. And so it's saying that all of Israel is now going to have a new beginning with a new king in the, in, of the tribe of Judah from the same town where David was born. So he would be in the, in the lineage of David. So you've got this really cool mix of humility in this king, a lowly king from a lowly town, but also this dignity and this authority because it says, whose coming forth is from of old, 
from ancient days. God is going to give a new start in the line of David with this ruler. And then notice verse three. Let's keep reading the message in a Bible, in a bottle, and a message in the Bible. Verse three, therefore he shall give them up until the time. So this is all on God's timetable, right? Sometimes we struggle with God's timetable, but this is, he's gonna give them up until the time. God has a plan here. He's gonna give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So out of, out of Judah, out of the remnant of Israel, and indeed, I would add, we will, as we will see later, from the womb of a mother, she would give birth. She who is in labor has given birth. That is when this ruler will come. And it says, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. There's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a regathering. So if you look at verses two and three, I wonder who this is talking about. Well, it's obviously talking about Jesus, but you guys, this is 700 years before the birth of Christ. Now, how do we know that it's talking about Jesus? Well, in Matthew chapter two, the three wise men come looking for Jesus. And King Herod is so threatened by the birth of the king. Remember, King Herod is in the same tradition as the Assyrians. King Herod will be another skirmish in this great epic battle between good and evil. And in Matthew chapter two, King Herod actually wants to, to cancel, to kill, to eliminate this newborn king that would be a threat to him. So Herod asked some Jewish scribes where that king would be born because the three wise men came to Jerusalem. Everybody's trying to find out where. They go to the Jewish scholars who were scholars of the Old Testament and those scholars quote Micah chapter five saying that this newborn king, this, this new king would be born in Bethlehem and that's who it's talking about. It says then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. There would be a gathering again of the people of God Scholars believe this is what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, when all of the tribes were gathered back into Jerusalem and, they, and, and Peter preached the gospel and all those people came to faith on that day and there was that regathering of the people of Israel. So you've got this message in a bottle. You have this muster your troops, you've got this siege, you've got this ruler that's going to come. Now look at verse four because we wanna see further what the reign of this king will be like, this humble king from the little town of Bethlehem. Look at what it says that he will do in verse four. It says that he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. This morning in our Advent candle, Mark said that the candle that was lit was the shepherd's candle. I really like that. He will shepherd his people. You know, when Jesus came, it says that Jesus looked at the multitudes and it said he felt compassion in his heart because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus was there to shepherd them. In Luke chapter 15, we find that Jesus is the one who pursues the lost sheep. And look at what he does for them. It says in verse four, again, back to this message in a bottle, 
He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And it says, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Now think back to Hezekiah in verse 1. Hezekiah wasn't, wasn't able to make them dwell secure, but look at the contrast with this promised ruler, this Messiah, this coming king. It says that they shall dwell secure, and it says he shall be great to the ends of the earth. In other words, there wouldn't just be the remnant of Israel, but God's plan all along was also for the nations. It was also for the Gentiles. And so you go to the book of Acts, and you see what happens there. God begins to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. It was Jesus who said, go and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, take the gospel beyond the borders of Israel to the whole world. And you and I are here today because that message has come to us. His greatness extends to the ends of the earth. It says in verse 5, and he shall be their peace. And that's what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus the Bible teaches that Jesus would give us peace with God through faith in him. Romans 5, chapter 1. If this morning you do not yet have peace with God, the Bible teaches that you can have that peace simply through faith in Christ. That peace is talked about in Ephesians chapter four where it says that God tore down the barrier of the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. He has torn down these walls and he makes peace between different types of people. That is what Christ does, he gives them peace. And then in John 14, 26, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my, my peace I give you to you. He gives us a personal peace in our hearts. And so it says he shall be their peace. And then look at verse, the rest of verse five in this message in a bottle. When the Assyrians come into our land and treads in our palaces, the idea is that Assyria represents the expression of evil during the time of Micah in 701 BC, but it's whenever evil threatens the people of God. When the Assyrians come into our land, and treads in our palaces, then we will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Now what goes on in the extension of the kingdom of the Messiah, it is that he raises up, he raises up seven shepherds, no eight princes of men. Seven is the number of perfection. Eight means no, there's just more than enough. There will be more than enough leaders who will join the cause of the king, who will join the cause of the Messiah, and they will be the under-shepherds. The kingdom of God, I think it was Calvin who said that the kingdom of God, which is invisible today all around the world, but it is made visible by the church, and God raises up leaders for his church to advance the kingdom of God. So in effect, we all become part of this amazing story of the kingdom of God as it talks about there in verse five. And then finally, the last part of this, this message in a bottle, and they, sh they shall shepherd the land of Israel or, or Assyria with the sword. There will be a victory here and the land of Nimrod at its entrances and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our borders. In other words, this kingdom, this reign of this shepherd king 
will start with, with Israel. He will gather them together. He will extend his greatness to the ends of the earth. And he will win the victory against all of his and our enemies. In other words, he will reign forever and ever. This is just an amazing, amazing message in a bottle. Now, how does this apply to you? What, how could you, how, what could you take this today from this message? Well, a couple of thoughts I want to suggest to you. First of all, if you are in a battle today, you are not alone in that battle. But we need to be alert to the fact that that struggle is ongoing today and we wait for the future coming of Christ. We have our battles. Second thing about this passage is this. Is this king the king of your life? Is Jesus the king of your life? So this morning, for example, if you are here today and you look back to the words of Kim, I like the way she put it. She said, I was raised in the church, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus. When you meet this Jesus, he learned that Jesus came from the little town of Bethlehem. He came from a lowly town. He was born a child in a manger. He suffered in this life, even as he had that shepherd's heart for people, and he was humiliated on the cross. He wasn't just struck on the cheek. He, unlike Hezekiah, he laid down his life for his sheep to purchase our peace. And so this morning, perhaps for you, if you are sitting here and you think I can relate to the fact that I have never put my faith in Christ, I've never welcomed him as savior in my heart, today I wanna to encourage you to cross that line to believe in Christ, to welcome him as your savior and as your king in his heart. And I would say to those of you that are followers of Christ, all of us here in this room have a throne in our hearts. And what I wanna ask you is does Jesus sit on the throne of your life? Are you living your life around his agenda, around his plan, around his word, around his will? There is never a better time than this Advent season to make Jesus the king of your heart. And then the last thing I would say, first of all, it's, it's remember he's with you in the battle. Secondly, welcome him as your king. And then thirdly, all of us in this room can find our place in God's story. There's a, there was a great series of sermons that was given a few decades ago by Francis Schaeffer, and it reminds me of this passage about the little town of Bethlehem because these 16 sermons were around the theme that there are no little people, there are no little places. All of you in this room, every age group, whether from the youngest child to the oldest among us, Regardless of your gifting, God's kingdom is made visible by the church, which is the body of Christ, and everybody in here has not only a stake in the success of that kingdom, but also has a role in the advancement of that kingdom, and we want to help you find your place. Whatever, wherever, even if it's small, even if you feel weak, even if you feel inadequate, as Francis Schaeffer said, there are no little people. So that's the message in the, in, in the bottle for the world. That is the message in the bottle for us at Lake Baldwin Church. I want to wrap it up with a story. Back in the 1700s, there was a man who wrote the, uh, the words for 
for, a, for a musical presentation. And that man gave the words to a composer by the name of Frederick Handel. Handel in 1741 was ready to go public with, this, with his oratio in the town of Dublin in Ireland. And the reason he did it was he wanted to raise money to provide funds to get people out of debtor's prison at the time. And so for the first time in 1741, Handel's Messiah was played in Dublin, Ireland. It was so popular that it went on to have its debut in 1743 in London. Legend has it that the king attended Handel's Messiah. And they don't actually know whether this was true, but we continue the practice today. Is that at the end of, by the way, this, this whole Handel's Messiah goes through the prophecies of the Old Testament, the one from last week, Isaiah chapter nine, goes through the whole Old Testament right to the story of Jesus. And it, is, it just tells the whole story. It is like a massive message in a bottle. And at the end of that, as you may know, the last song that is sung is, is the Hallelujah Chorus, that he shall reign forever and ever. And it said that the king, when it got to the Hallelujah Chorus, stood and everybody stood with the king for the Hallelujah Chorus. I would say that Handel got the same message in a, in a bottle that we got today. And his response to it, his response, that beautiful Handel's Messiah, is our response as well, to recognize his reign in the world and in our lives. Will you receive that message in a bottle this morning? Let's pray together. Lord, it's, it's almost too much to take in. It's almost too much to read a passage like Micah chapter five and find that out of Bethlehem would come this ruler for us. But we bow before you today. We get on our knees and our hearts and we recognize you as our King and our Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.